Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Welcome back to the Ransom Heart podcast. Uh, in the studio today is Craig McConnell. Hey, Morgan. Sporting a really amazing mustache. Mustache From 62, rolled. I think. Chris Hack, looking much better than Craig. And myself, Morgan Snyder. We are really glad that you have joined us today. We've been diving into a series of uh, samples from our newest audio collection. It's called the Wild at Heart Boot Camp Platinum Collection, and it's an extended recording of teachings and additional conversations, Q&A, from the last 10 years of Wild at Heart Boot Camps. And so up next is the second session that we offer there through John's teaching. It's the larger story. I think you'll really enjoy this. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Oh, man, so much has been stolen, assaulted, compromised, surrendered, taken in us and from us. And then from the gospel that was meant to restore us. I mean, the kind of the one hope of the world. It's absolutely brilliant. The whole thing's brilliant. So this is how most guys experience their life. Like a movie they arrive to 20 minutes late. (laughs) Something important seems to be going on. There seems to be good guys. There seems to be bad guys. I cannot figure this thing out. (laughs) Really? That is man's existential dilemma right there, right? What do I do? What do I do with this? On the one hand, I have these desires in my heart, or I did at one time. I have these dreams, these hopes, these fears. There's that. In stories like The Two Towers and Braveheart and Ben-Hur and Legends of the Fall and Shawshank Redemption and all those stories that you wrote down last night, that they speak to that. They seem to address that, but only you know, for a couple of hours because then I have this life, right? What do you do with the world as you find it? I mean, why do so many guys get taken out? I mean, taken out, destroyed, bound, into deep prisons of darkness, families destroyed, churches totally taken down. What do you do with the world that you have? You see, whatever worldview you hold to, it has to explain everything. It can't just explain the good and not the bad. It can't just hold on to the bad and not explain the longings and the desires for something more. Whatever view of reality that you hold to, your explanation for life, it's got to explain all this. It's got to explain the masculine soul and why gender is so deep. All of it. Okay, That's what Christianity was meant to do for you. That's what the gospel is meant to do. The Son of Man came, right? And it says, in him was life, and his life was the light of men. 
right? That his life sheds light on everything, right? It brings things into clarity. You can live with clarity. You actually can. You can get answers to the riddle of the earth. You can, but not through the gospel of churchianity, right? Not through duty and obligation, right? Not through earnestly, tenderly, you know, and not that. What we need to do is like orientation. Now go back and discover the answer to the earth, the answer to man. Go back and discover what is this story that God is telling that is speaking to us through every story you love. There is one story. It's just fascinating to watch how this plays out. There's only one story that the whole world has been telling. And, you know, it's almost like we're trying to remind ourselves of what is true or find our way back to what is true. And we need that. If we know the truth, the truth will set you free. Okay, so sort of the gospel as a reorientation here. The gospel is a story that plays itself out in four acts, four great sweeping moments here. Act one, why do all stories start once upon a time, right? All stories do. Once upon a time, there was a king and a queen, you know, and a wicked witch. Once upon a time, there was a lion and four children in Narnia. Once upon a time, there was a kingdom called Camelot. In the beginning, right? All stories start like this, okay? In the beginning is used twice in Scripture. There's Genesis chapter 1. And you're already probably, you know, racing there in your minds and thinking, oh, I know where he's going, right? Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's act three, actually. You can't start there. The Hebrew actually says when God began to create heaven and earth, there's a whole lot that took place before that. Okay. Act one, you go to John chapter one, where he also uses the phrase in the beginning, but he's describing something farther back in time. In the beginning, he says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. John is looking back into the mystery of ages past, and what he finds there is a fellowship. What he finds there is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This will blow you away. The deepest longing of a boy's heart is for a father who will take him into a great adventure. And when you hear men talking about the stories that they love, guys sitting around the campfire, swapping, you know, there's a bear in the tree type stories, it almost always involves other men. There is this core craving that is built into the soul of a man for a fellowship of men, right? Not to live alone, not to live in isolation. This longing. When I was young, I grew up in L.A., suburbs kid. But in the summer, my parents would ship me off to my grandfather's cattle ranch in eastern Oregon, right on the Snake River, just south of Ontario. And, I mean, it was three months in every boy's dream. Horses, tractors, shotguns. One summer he bought me a, you know, that milk carton-sized thing of BBs and a BB gun and told me to go kill all the pigeons on the ranch. I mean, it was adventure. It was fishing. I was Huck Finn. I was the Lone Ranger, 
right? I was Daniel Boone every day. But the best part about it was I didn't have to write that story. That already existed before I was even born. And I was invited up into my grandfather's world, right? A man who was strong, who could handle life, and who was saying, come on, saddle up, right? Ride with us. And now that I'm older, right, my greatest joys are the adventures that I share with my sons. I've had a lot of adventures in my life, and I do some things solo, and I go get solo time every year. But, ah, what makes me come alive is the the climbing and the backpacking last summer and the flat tops with my sons. It's the road trips. It's jumping off cliffs into lakes together. Do you see this? This is so core because you are made in the image of the Trinity. When you do get to Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image. Okay, you're made in the image of this heroic fellowship. All right, so act one. In the beginning of the movie, The Last of the Mohicans, this is amazing how this stuff is just mythic. It's woven into the fabric of every story. Notice how this story begins. A world of beauty and mystery. And then there's this fellowship. There's three, not one, three, alone, together in some adventure on the frontier. The movement of this fellowship together without words, knowing what the other is thinking, this heroic adventure shared that is so deep in our hearts. All right, act one, fellowship of the Trinity, this core longing for this fellowship here, and we are made in the image of that. It's why we long for it. And if you, if you could just dream about your life for a minute, Just what life would you love to have? It would be things like this. Oh, I want to sail the world, but probably not alone, right? I want to go to war and win a great victory, probably not alone, right? These core things in us are so crucial to the masculine nature. So this this is act one. In the beginning, the heroic fellowship of the Trinity. This is what we long for. This is the image of God that we also bear. It's just core. And I'll tell you what's fascinating is movement. Movement is crucial to masculinity. Go back and look at the family photos. Have you noticed how ridiculous men look just standing there, right? (laughs) Guys just look goofy in photos. This is really interesting, but you can take beautiful photos of women, right? There's something about femininity that pictures, among other things, rest, And so portraits, right, nudes of women, been done for centuries, right? Loveliness, beauty. But you get a guy, you know, lying on the couch, draped over. (laughs) You're like, go cut the grass. What are you laying around for, you bum? It's really fascinating. Men are made to move. Men are made to engage. We show the world something about the engagement of God. Because one of the big questions of the world is, will God show up? Will he intervene? Does he come for us? And masculinity is supposed to be this resounding yes. Yes, he does. So there's this movement. There's this shared adventure. That's act one. And it's one of the core longings of the masculine soul for that. All right, act two. 
Before we get into Act 2, let me ask you a question. Why does every story have a villain? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever noticed that? Why does every story have an evil character in it? In fact, you can't write a good story without one. When the brothers who did the Matrix series tried to write that series, they first tried to write it without the presence of evil, right? They're trying to write it from a Buddhist perspective, and they couldn't write a good story. It doesn't work. It doesn't deal with reality. It doesn't deal with what's true to the human soul. Why does every story have a villain? Because yours does. But most of you don't live like it. We hope you enjoyed this small excerpt from Epic, The Larger Story. You can order the entire Platinum Collection, which Epic is a part of. Please visit RansomedHeart.com slash Platinum Collection. And for more resources surrounding the message of Epic, study guides, video series, please visit RansomedHeart.com.